You entered a new life. You were raised to life. And that comes with birthmarks. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome. We are glad you're here this morning. Uh, Every week we ask you to turn your Bibles. I really want you to do that today on your devices. Uh, For some reason, the scriptures aren't showing out up completely on the screens. And so if you'll have them before you, it really, it would really uh, be a benefit to you and uh, me as I speak as well today as we give our attention to the Word of God and close up this first letter of John. First uh, John, I hope, has been encouraging to you. It is true that one out of every t- ki- 10 kids born are born with a, a birthmark. Uh, Ed Sheeran, songwriter and singer, um, had a facial uh, birthmark, and he paid big money to have, to have it laserly removed. Uh, former quarterback Drew Brees has one on the right side of his face. He chose not to have his re- removed. He's worth $160 million or so, but he wanted to communicate that to have imperfections is a natural part of our lives, so he wanted to encourage young people to learn to live with their imperfections. Uh, we are... We, we know that when missing people are being looked for, often they'll ask what are, what are some identifying birthmarks a person may have. Whether or not you have a physical birthmark, the fact that you're here today means that you have been physically born. Um, one time, humorist Will Rogers was applying for a passport, and they said, well, we'll need your birth certificate. And he said, why? Well, to give proof that, you, you, that you, you're, you're alive. And he said, well, I'm here, ain't I? And, uh, you know, we, we, as children of God, we've been born again. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, uh, the, that day you were baptized into Christ, you entered a new life. You were raised to life. And that comes with birthmarks. And they have to, they have to be there to demonstrate that, that, we, that we are alive in Jesus Christ. So in the fifth chapter of 1 John, John gives us six birthmarks. And the question I have for all of us today, are they there? Are these birthmarks evident in your own life? Number one, love for God's children. Verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Now, when our babies are born, nobody teaches us how to love them. It's a natural thing for us to do so when we bring life into the world. Most of us know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we ought to, and we love that, and we ought to equally know 1 John 3.16 as well. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's what it is to love one another. The Bible's command to love seems rather overwhelming at times because there's a lot of love that is needed in the world, and you can drain yourself pretty quickly if you give yourself to that, but you have to do it in a, in a sensible, properly way. I don't mean measure it so much. I mean this. Well, Roger Thompson is a, is a, a, a big-time runner. He loves to run, and he compares 
learning to love like learning to run. He says so many people will buy fancy clothing and, they, and great shoes, and they make it about three blocks, their side aches, their lungs hurt, and they stop. That's my story and my history. And he says, so they, so they bail. I compare running to hell. I think they're both about aligned at the same time, right? <laughs> and so he said, people, you know, they just give up. They don't do anything. He said, he said what happened, that's, that would be anaerobic running, that is running without oxygen. Our body needs enough oxygen so that we can run the distance and we know how to do that. He says what happens with people who love, who want to love well, they just jump in and do it, but, but they, they love anaerobically without the resources necessary, the intake necessary and for the output. And so when we're learning to love, we have to learn to love aerobically. In other words, there has to be enough intake. The intake is learning to love the Word of God. It's learning to the value of being in community. It's about the value of quietness in prayer and receiving from God and encouraging the Holy Spirit to be alive and working in us. There has to be the right kind of spiritual disciplines so that we can love well, because to love costs us. And if we're not doing one, the, the, the intake well enough, we're, we're going to be spent or we're probably not going to love at all. And so let's learn that we're in this for the long haul. And one of our identifying marks is that we love really well. And we're not always measuring it carefully. We want to, we want to love sacrificially. The second birthmark is obedience to God's commands. Verses two and three, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Now, I ask you today, do you love God? You would sound like Will Rogers probably. Well, I'm here, ain't I? Well, I didn't ask you if you like attending church services. I asked, do you really love God? That's two different questions. You can be in church service every week and not really be deeply loving God. And if you're not, you're going to find his commandments very burdensome. They're heavy. Are God's commandments burdensome? Sometimes they feel that way. And I find that when I feel they're burdensome, I am not in love with him to the degree that I should be. Jesus said in John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. God's commandments are healthy and right and good for us, for human existence and for living in the family of God. They are there to guide us, to shape us, to, to protect us, to help us, to bring him glory. The, the problem is that we can obey without love. Now, you can't love deeply without obeying also, but you can obey without much love. And, and when it comes to raising our children, we want them to obey us. And sometimes they, they obey us simply because they have to, but we want them to grow to, to obey us because they respect us and honor us and love us, and they know that we want the best for them. And they, if they don't get it growing up, we at least want them to get to that point when they're adults and can say to us, man, thanks for being the parent you were. I hated you sometimes. 
And, and our family rules were, were burdensome, and they are to kids sometimes. But, but in, in time, we hope they land well. You know, a lady was once editing a manuscript for an author, and it was boring, it was lifeless, she hated it, she did it, and then she met the author, and then she fell in love with him and married him, and she loved the manuscript. It's the same thing with the Word of God. If you don't deeply love the Lord, this is going to be burdensome to you, you're not going to be drawn to it, you're going to follow rules, and your Christian life will be lifeless. And that's why Jesus will say to some people, I never knew you. Because we didn't fall in love with his heart and who he is. The third birthmark is overcoming through God's power. We know Nike is a prominent name in athletic wear. They weren't always number one. You know, they were number two for a long time following Reebok. Reebok was number one until 1989. And then millions of dollars were spent by Nike on rolling out their, their new campaign, Bo Knows. Some of you remember that. And uh, Bo Jackson played in the NFL and Major Leagues, uh, Major League Baseball, and he was in the All-Star game that year. He was a leadoff hitter, and at the play, he hit a home run. Uh, in center field, hit the bleachers. The next commercial was the first commercial rolling out Bo Knows. And the rest is history. They came on top, and they've been on top ever since. Now, four times, John says, three times, uh, John writes in verses four and five, everyone born of God overcomes the world. That Greek word is Nike. Nike, Nike. Every, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we're involved in a conflict. And we, we are growing increasingly weary. In fact, I would advise you to maybe fast from news media for a while. Because we are bombarded by negative messages we are by, and what happens is we are paying more attention to the media than we are the Word of God. And the more we do that, the more we will live negatively, we will speak cynically, our, our, our whole families will be inundated by all these kinds of messages, and what we start doing also is making different people, different political parties, different personalities our enemies. People are not our enemies. There is one enemy, he is Satan. And he is out to destroy us, to, question, to get us to question our faith, to, to, help, to, to make us trust in politics as our saviors rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is out to get us to, to somehow live negative, small, little, confined lives. And maybe, maybe you have fallen prey to all of that. Let's fall prey to the message of God. And let's learn to live as overcomers in the world. You know, the, 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 um, the Apostle Paul, when he, was writing, um, when he was writing to the Roman believers, he wrote in Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, in Greek, that is uber nike. <laughs> Ever taken an uber? What's an uber do? Uh, it takes you places. So we live by power of the Holy Spirit within us under the Lordship of Christ, and he will take you places, places of overcoming. 
We want to overcome the negative messages. Now, that doesn't mean we pull the shade down. It doesn't mean we stop, we stop being aware of the issues of our world. I'm not saying we, we naively live our lives. I'm just saying we get enough to know how we're going to pray for this world, how we're going to pray for our country, and we're not, we decide we're not going to be dominated by it. We're going to be dominated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he's coming back, and he enables us and strengthens us to be overcomers for today. So let's live uber nike, like overcomers and more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. The fourth uh, the fourth birthmark is assurance by God's spirit. I've got two granddaughters that share the same birthmark on their backs. But you know what? They're fading. Birthmarks can fade, and so can ours. And when our birthmarks fade, we lose our identity. Um, th- this is what verses 6 through 12 read. This is... This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And so that word testify or testimony is throughout these verses. I wish we had time just to study all this because it presents all kinds of questions, the testimony of the spirit and the blood and the water. And maybe I'll touch on that maybe a little bit later. Just remember for now that the word testimony or testify is the same word that we get for martyr. A martyr lays down their lives. Our testimony, our testimony we lay down our lives. We, we, we give evidence the testimony of our lives of what Christ has done in us and why we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, why we're assured that the Bible is true. Why? And, that, and that's what our society needs today. Not necessarily that it's good for you, but you believe it because of the truthfulness of the Word of God, the historicity, the veracity, the reliability of the Word of God. That's where we want to be. Because if, 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 you, if you don't trust that, you'll be all over the page. And I'll say, let me, I want to say more about that. But here's what Romans 8 says. For those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Well, how does that happen? It's a mystery to me. But when we are born again in baptism, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And as we unleash him by our study of the word, by prayer, by worship, by community, by service, all that, all that encourages the Holy Spirit to work more deeply in us. The more that happens, the more then I grow in this assurance that I belong to the Father in heaven, that I've been born again. All that there is a step. The problem is we allow our feelings to govern how we're doing. I hear it all the time in people. I don't feel very close to God. That's not 
I don't either sometimes. I had to hit the snooze button this morning. Not usually. It's the Lord's day. I was preaching today. Snooze. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? No, but I don't always feel very spiritual. But it's my fickleness and feelings, and I can't trust that. Somebody's pictured this way. Look at a train, and so we have this engine that, that, that represents the power of our faith, the, 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 the potential. The potential power is in the Word of God and the truth of who God is and the facts of the Christian faith, what we believe. And every, every week when we come together to sing, when we pray, when we preach, all that, we're being reminded all the time of the truth itself, objective truth. Behind that car is the coal car. And so this is a steam engine. So the coal is feeding the, the engine. So it's one thing to, to, uh, to, to claim these are, what, these are the facts I believe. It's another thing to apply our faith to the facts. So if you don't apply faith to the facts, there's no movement. There's nothing that happens. And there are people, you know people in your life, yeah, I believe God, Jesus died on the cross. I believe God created heaven and stuff. But they, but they don't live by faith. They haven't put their trust in Christ. So that engine's not going anywhere. And so it's the faith that fuels the, the engine to get it moving down the tracks. Then comes the caboose. I hear there ain't co- What's the plural of caboose? Cabooses or kabai? Co- I'm not sure. But anyway, um, <laughs> I hear there's no goodbye, cabooses anymore, right? Um, I don't, I don't, I'm disappointed in our trained people for that. Because, um, I mean, as kids, didn't we love the caboose? We thought that was going to be a cool thing to live when they don't have them anymore. The, the caboose, though, never pulled the train. It came at the end, and that's where feelings need to be. Because our feelings are so unpredictable, and we have all kinds of mood swings. And if you live by how you feel, you're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna crash, you can't do that. You keep coming back. Even when you don't feel like it, you stay in the Word. Even if you don't feel like it, you're in the assembly on Sunday to worship. Even if you don't feel like it, you're in your home group, your class. You're there to be with people. If you don't feel like it, you're still telling your kids, I know you don't feel like it. I really don't feel like it. We're going to go there. We're going to be there in the church building today because that's what's right. That's what we do on the Lord's Day. But that's the way we live our lives. We keep applying our faith, and then our feelings follow, okay? Keep them in order all the time. All right, number five, confidence in God's ear. Confidence in God's ear. Verse 14, 15, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Is that your experience? Not mine. I haven't gotten everything I've asked for. So is the Bible lying to me here? What's this about? You know, there, there are natural laws that govern nature. For instance, water will boil at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Usually. Unless you're in a mountain cabin at 8,000 feet above sea level, then that water will boil at 198 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's a little condition. Generally speaking, that's true. But there are exceptions. When we pray and we, we depend on God and we give him our requests, we're acknowledging, God, you're the creator. I'm the creation. You're the potter. I am the clay. 
I, I am not in a position to counsel you on how you answer this prayer, but I believe in fervently, however you ask, uh, however you answer, you're going to answer because I know you're for me and not against me. I know that you want the best for me. And I don't always know what's best. From my perspective, this is what I believe. And it can be the most noble prayer, the most God-honoring prayer, the, 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 the thing that you think, why would God not answer this my way? And yet he doesn't. And lots of people have bailed at that point because God didn't deliver like they thought he should which is basically saying, even though I'm the clay, I think I can tell the potter how to do it. It's ridiculous, isn't it? The best illustration for this, I think, of what he's saying here is in Jesus. The night he's betrayed, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops like blood. He's going through physical anxiety to the point that his corpuscles are bursting. And he prays, Father, if there is any other way that you can accomplish salvation, if any way it can happen so that I don't have to suffer this way on that cross, please do it. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 5, 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was what? Heard. He was. He still had to go to the cross. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus was able to pray, not my will, but yours. This is what I really want. And the Bible says he was heard. Meaning... God didn't answer it Jesus' way. But all Jesus knew was that God was hearing him. Have you ever gone through trauma and all you wanted was somebody to listen to you and, and validate you and say, no wonder you feel the way you do. And there was a beginning healing process because someone simply heard you. That's what the text is telling us, that when we go to God in prayer, what we're saying is, God, there is such blessing. I know you hear me. And that alone gives me greater confidence in dealing with my life issue right now, whatever that is, whatever the crest of your heart is. I know you've heard me, and I know I can leave it with you. It's one of our birthmarks. And so I trust you can live that way and you'll never let the way he answers your prayer determine whether you're in for the long haul or not. Because if you're only here to get what you want, you're using God for your end. You're not here because he's your Lord and Savior no matter what. Number five, health care in God's family. Verses 16 and 17. If you see my brother or sister... If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. 
So we pray for ourselves, for our our discipleship journey. We also pray for one another. I need you to pray for me, and I need to pray for you. That's one of our values when we come together in community, that we are praying for each other, supporting each other, because the days are evil, and there's this evil one, the tempter, who wants to take us down, destroy your family, destroy your marriage, destroy you, destroy our church, our community. He wants to do that. And so we pray, and as we are part of each other's lives, the deeper we go, the more we notice one another's lives. And he says there is sin that doesn't lead to death, and there's sin that does lead to death. The sin that now, now lots of scholars have different kinds of opinions. I've, I've read different ideas. My conclusion is this I'm not saying I'm right, but this is where I am for now. The sin that leads, that does not lead to death, are those sins that we struggle with all the time that we still know are in us and we don't want them. You know, I don't want to talk badly about somebody, do I? I still do. After all these years, I find myself slandering somebody or telling a story from my perspective without telling it objectively. It makes me look better than the other person. I know that can be a problem of mine, so I have to keep seeing that and identifying it and working through it. I think you have sins in your life the same way. Those kinds of sins aren't the ones that lead to death because we don't like that about ourselves and we're always struggling with it and we're praying about it. But there is that sin that's habitual in our lives and if we recognize it and there's no repentance and we keep doing it knowing it's open rebellion against God, that's the kind of sin that leads a person to death. That there's no conscience about it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know God said no, but I want to do it anyway. That, that kind of sin attitude just destroys the meaning of the cross in our lives. And that's when we're guilty of trampling the blood of Jesus Christ under us all the time. And so that's why in community, you need somebody in your, in your life that points to you and say, you know, do you realize, do you realize, you know, what you're doing? Do you realize how you're living? That's, that's a, that's a, That might be an odd place for you to think that anybody could ever be that honest with you, but we need people in our lives like that who will love us, and no matter what they say to you, you will pay attention, and no matter what, they're not going anywhere. They still love you in spite of that. That's hard to get to, friends, but we all need that. And the final mark is defense against God's arrivals. He closes. This is his last sentence. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Now, he hasn't brought up idolatry at all. In all these five chapters, he's never mentioned idolatry. But even though John hasn't mentioned idolatry at all in this letter, it is the number one sin the Bible identifies. Over a thousand verses in the Bible speak about idolatry. There There are a pantheon of idols that exist. And there are idols that we don't even know are idols. That, that have to be addressed. Now, before I go any further on, let me remind you, or we haven't exactly said it this way in our study of 1 John 5, any of us three preachers who have preached 1 John, uh, but here are four purpose statements for John's writing. Number one, to promote joy. One four says, we write this to make our joy complete. Number two, to promote obedience. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Number three, 
to protect from error. He writes, I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. That's the false teachers. Number four, to provide assurance. I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, idolatry will adversely affect every one of these areas. Idolatry will rob us of joy. Idolatry is disobedient. Idolatry is living with error. And idolatry will destroy a sense of assurance in our salvation. And in case you think idolatry isn't something you deal with, listen to what Tim Keller writes. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly be worth living. An idol has such controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill. Mine was peer approval for a long, long time. I had to confess it. Competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstance, your beauty or your brains, a great, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success and Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but it's really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Dear children, we are to keep ourselves from idols. And John closes with four strong affirmations. We're going to stay them out loud together. The bold type, we're going to say subtly. We know, all right? Here we go. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has given us understanding. We know him who is true. That's where we stand. And increasingly, the unbelieving world will not tolerate you. Just expect that. You'll be the oddball. You'll be uninvited. You won't be included. But regardless, we're going to do our best to love people to new life in Jesus Christ. I love this Peanuts cartoon. Lucy, you'll never be a good theologian. You're too dogmatic. Ah, bonk. I hate jokes like that. <laughs> you know, that sounds really uh, cold and harsh, you know. It's not bad to be dogmatic. To be dogmatic simply means, look, this is what I believe, and I'm not budging. This is what I believe. It doesn't mean you're obnoxious. In fact, you're, if you're obnoxious, stop doing that. You know? If you're trying to push the Bible on somebody, don't do that. 
It don't, don't look at someone and say, hey, you need to be going to church. That's not the issue. Church isn't the issue. Jesus is the issue. We got to help people know how wonderful and beautiful Jesus, our Savior, is. And he's, they're not going to get that message until we learn to be beautiful people for his glory and for his namesake. Listen, don't, don't, don't fear the truth. Don't apologize for the truth. Don't walk away from the truth. We have been born of God. And having been born again, we have birthmarks. I trust they are alive and they're real in you. Jesus is so worthy remembering, and that's what we're going to do right now, just remember him, and that he laid down his life for us. You know, there was that, there was that uh, verse earlier. I just I breezed over it. Remember the, remember the text earlier, starting with verse 12? I said, come back to it, where there's three that testify, the Holy Spirit, and the water and the blood. Well, what is that about? I'm not sure, to be frankly, frankly honest with you, but I think this is what John is doing. He's fighting false teachers. Do you remember a few weeks ago when I said that the false teaching had to do with the fact that many were teaching that when Jesus was baptized, Christ came into him and he became the Christ. And then right before the cross, Christ left. So it really wasn't Christ on the cross, just Jesus the man on the cross. That's what the false teaching was. What's he saying here? He said, no. From the time, from, from all that Jesus is, the, and the Holy Spirit gets evidence to this through his, the story of God throughout Scripture, that this special one, God's Son, was to come into the world. He did come into the world. He was born of a virgin, God in the flesh. And God affirmed him by the Holy Spirit at the, at the Jordan River, when Jesus was baptized, he wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins like you and I are baptized, but he was baptized to show his full submission to his Father. And the Holy Spirit came and lit on him like a dove. And, and the voice came from him, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then right through the shedding of his blood, he continued to be Jesus, the Son of God, who died for the sins of the world. That's the testimony we believe, and we're going to announce that together before we partake of these emblems today. Repeat after me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Let's remember him. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.